As we move into a time of the message, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you that um, you are indeed stronger than the grave, that you have conquered our sin and our shamefulness, Lord, and now we can come into this place and, and be assured of your love and your salvation. God, as we uh, move into a time uh, where we hear from your word this morning, uh, words that have been passed on for a long time, words that uh, might be really familiar, words that might be a little bit foreign, uh, God, give us a set of fresh eyes uh, to approach this in a way that we're open to hear what the, what the text is saying to us, what your scriptures say to us, not just what we want to hear out of it, Lord, but what you're saying to us through it. And God, sometimes these words, um, you know, they, they fit us, they're a part of us, they've been with us for a really long time, and, and it's good, they're comforting words. And other times they're, they're not so familiar, and uh, they're a little bit stiff. But in, but in any situation, God, uh, may your grace fall fresh and open up our eyes to what you would have us here this morning. And pray these things in your name. Amen. Between my, my junior and my senior year of high school, my alma mater uh, made the big step forward to start a fall football program uh, to our academic, um, or to, not our academic, to our, um, to our fall um, sports lineup. There we go. Whew. Fall sports lineup. And this is a big deal because I come from a very small town in central Iowa, so to add a football program was going to take a, a lot of community support. But once the decision was made to move forward, it, it went ahead with a ton of enthusiasm. And the enthusiasm gained even more momentum as a coach with over 30 years of winning experience volunteered to take the reins of this very first ever football team. And not only was he a coach that had years of winning experience, but he was an incredible team builder. He could put together an amazing coaching staff and he could bond teams in, a, in just an incredible sort of way. And so as this football team gets started and they, they start to kind of cohese as a team, they needed this place to sort of hang out, to bond, to be together in. And that place became the school weight room. Now, the weight room before we had a uh, football program was sparse, <laughs> to, say it, to say it nicely. In fact, it was so underutilized that no one kind of knew what they were doing when they went down there. Uh, I was a varsity basketball player, and our coach would just say, hey guys, go lift weights. He didn't tell us what to do. He didn't tell us how to do it. They didn't show us how to do it. So we would just go down there and pick up things and, you know, lift them. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> There was, you know, one, one bench, or a couple benches, there was one squat rack, there was a bunch of old, rusty free weights, uh, and the, like weight machines that no one actually knew how to use. The, the room was in the basement, there were no windows, it was dimly lit, it was kind of damp, it smelled like sweat, and the walls were just gray, bare cinder block. But then we got a football team. New lighting goes in. Uh, suddenly, there's new weight machines everywhere. We got six squat racks, five benches, new, brand new free weights, and machines that people actually knew how to use. In in this bare blank white or bare blank walls, they're painted this glorious white paint. It was it was so shimmering white. And after the paint dried, all of a sudden, these posters uh, started to appear all over the walls. Posters with a picture of like an eagle with the word strength written underneath. Or, or a poster like this one up on the screen. You know, pain is weakness leaving the body. You know, right in front of the squat rack. So when you're dropping, you know, 200 pounds and trying to get back up, you know, 
fight through it. Or, you know, these motivational posters that come up, they're everywhere. They're not Gatorade posters, they're not Under Armour posters, they're, they're motivational posters, posters everywhere. People love motivational posters. We love motivational quotes and sayings because there's something in it that, that, that drives us forward that says, yes, we can. I can do this. I'm going to go ahead and lean forward. I'm going to lean into this. We can, we can definitely get it done. And so, so maybe you know some of these different posters um, or, or motivational quotes. So for instance, I, I'm 100% certain that if you have a Facebook account, you have that one friend who posts a motivational quote like this one, uh, every day. The strongest factor for success is self-esteem. Believing you can do it. Believing that you deserve it. Believing you will get it. You have that friend, right? Like every other day you got one of these things. Or you have the, the HR person at work who puts a quote like this one up, the next one. The struggle you're in today in developing the strength that you will need for tomorrow, right? They, they say something motivational like that right before the time management seminar, you know? <laughs> Or you have that one friend who has this one motivational post in their office and you're not quite sure what to make of it. It's, it's this one. You know, conformity. It says, the one who is, it's the one who's different that gets left out in the cold. You know, okay, a little, little bit of a unique perspective there. If you've been hanging around uh, the Christian community for a while, there's no doubt that you've heard the words of Romans 8 verse 28 used over and over again. It's one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, and to some degree, it's a Christian motivational saying. It goes like this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You know what? Let's put it up on the screen. Yeah, right? We want to make this in the poster. Hang in our office, put it on the walls. Motivation. It's a, it's a verse that Christians would put into their, their blessing box, right? A bunch of uh, verses that will um, pick up our spirits, that will give us new hope after, after a rough day. Uh, verses that we can use as blanket statements to say to people when they're in tough times or, or facing tough situations. Other verses you might find in the, the blessing box might be a verse like Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or one we've come across a few times in this series we're in, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. And of course, we're not complete until we add in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's nice, isn't it? You know, you know it's more than nice. It's empowering. It's motivational. And I'm sure that you've heard this verse used in a variety of ways too, right? And we know that in all things, God works for good. Or we know that God works all things for good, you know, kind of creative shifting of the words depending on the situation that we need the verse to cover. We love this verse. It's empowering. It drives us forward because there's, there's this kind of implicit promise in it that God's going to provide better things to come. That's the motivation of it that we like. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, um, we're in the middle of a series right now uh, called The Misused Bible. Uh, we've been taking a look at these different passages of scripture, famous passages of scripture that we have maybe put different meanings onto or we've kind of projected um, what we think they might mean and say instead of maybe taking a look at them for who they were written to, how they were written, or what they were meant to be said. And in Romans 8.28 is one of these passages that kind of falls into that category of being easily misused. So the question then is, what 
what is it that we want Romans 28 to say? Or, or what is it that we want Romans 28 to do for us? Or maybe a better way to say it is, what do we want Romans 28, 28 to mean to us? And I think that it kind of falls into this, this camp of, and we know that if we love God, he is going to kind of work things out for our good. Uh, the emphasis there being on our good, my understanding of good. So whatever situation or circumstance I find myself in, I know that God is going to have better things in store for me. Or that if I'm facing a tough time or a tough situation, that God will somehow make that clear to me why, why it's happening. There's this, there's this want, there's this drive for us to kind of put a, a, a mindset on it to say, every cloud has a silver lining. But if we take this verse for what it is, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to a, his purpose. Absolutely true. God is working all things for our good. But what we need to have, what we need is a really healthy understanding of that last little phrase, who have been called according to his purpose. What does that little phrase mean and how does it relate to the good that Paul talks about? When I was getting towards the end of seminary, we had to go through what was known as oral comprehensive exams. And yes, they are as terrible as I just made it sound. And what it was was I would walk into this room, I walked into a room, there were three professors on one side of the table, I was on the other side, and they would just like toss theological landmines at me just to watch the carnage that would come out of it. I might be embellishing a little bit, but that's what it felt like. Every, every question they would answer, and I would, I, would, I would sit and think about it, and I would say, is this a trap? What's your angle? And how do I answer this without digging myself in a hole? And I can imagine that if they would say, Brian, in Romans 8.28, it says that God works all things for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. What's his purpose for us? Like, Ooh, okay, hold on. It's a trap, right? Like, well, how am I going to answer this? But honestly, it's, it's, not, it's not a hard question to answer. If we've learned anything, if we're learning anything through this series that we're in right now, it's that for us to not misuse the Bible, it's that we take a verse like this, and we have to bring it into a, a better context, right? Sometimes the context means reading a verse before or maybe even a chapter before. Sometimes the context is understanding some of the cultural, historical things that are happening in the text. Sometimes it's simply just reading a couple verses further in the text, and that's what we need to do now. So we've talked about Romans 8.28, but now let's add on Romans 8.28 and 29, which says, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's go to verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right there. Did, did you catch it? Did you see it? Did you hear it? God's purpose for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. It's a little bit unfortunate that the word conformity is used here. Not because it's a bad translation of what, what Paul was saying, but because conformity is, 
it's such a negative word for our culture, right? Like conformity means given into peer pressure, and we know that peer pressure always revolves around drugs, sex, and rock and roll. So we can't conform to these things. We need to stay away from them. Paul uses the word morphe, which we get our English word transformation, metamorphosis. It's a root word. That Greek root word comes into our language as well. And morphe is not about blindly following along. Morphe, it's not, it's not about just changing your mind or your attitude towards something. Morphe is a, it's a complete overhaul. It is, it is a complete and utter shift in content. It's not a change of presentation or packaging. It's a complete change of what's inside. The promise then of Romans 8 verse 28 is not that we're going to go into better life circumstances when we love God. The promise is that if we love God, he will provide a better life for us. A better life that's not about the circumstances, but a better life because we are being conformed into the image of his son. And then that last little, that little, last little part of, of verse 29 too. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We're being conformed into the image of the Son of God in a way that we then are adopted by God. We get to share in the inheritance that Christ has. If we're adopted as sons and daughters of God, we have access to God. We will live with God forever. We will be with God forever. That's the promise of a better life. Maybe some of you are still kind of wondering, though, like, what's the difference between better life circumstances and a better life? Because aren't both trying to say the same thing? Like, aren't both trying to make the best of a tough situation? I mean, isn't it just kind of like a subtle shift in language to say that better circumstances, better life, we're getting the same thing, right? Maybe it'll be helpful for us to kind of take each one individually and work them out a little bit, maybe in a more, like, practical sort of way. So let's say that we're going to use Romans 8.28 now as um, the hope for better life circumstances. And I think that it, that plays out a little bit like this. I didn't get into the grad school that I was hoping to get into, but I love God and so that I know that he has a better one in store for me somewhere. Or maybe I didn't marry this person, but I know that God has someone better for me out there somewhere. Or maybe I'm not working in the career field that I want to be working in, but I know that because I love God, he has something better in store for me. Or it's kind of like the, uh, the sort of feel-good news story that you hear, right? Like a news story wants to take something that's happened and make sure that nothing ever happens in vain, right? So this new law comes out of, out of this tough situation, or this large fundraising effort is happening because of this disease. And, and those are good things, but, but what we're trying to do is always trying to find the silver lining. We're trying to find the good that's coming out of it, right? And so if you're always trying to find the good that's going to come out of something, the news story kind of tends to gloss over the people who are actually in this situation. What about that family who, who lost that child? Well, now there's a new law, but yeah, what about them? Everything that happens is just based on the circumstance looking for something better to come. And let's be clear, like, if, if good things happen, if God brings good things into your life and say you get into this other grad school and it turns out to be the perfect place or that you end up getting into the vocation that you want to be into, 
the posture is, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for, for continually being with me and directing me to this place. The problem is, if we're using this verse to hope for better life circumstances, what if there's not a silver lining to the cloud? Like, is there no hope? Does, does God not keep promises? He made a promise for better life circumstances. Does he, does he not keep promises? Why would I want to believe in a God who can't even keep promises? Here's the shift of going from life circumstances into seeing Romans 8.28 as a better life. Here, here's Romans 8.28 from the perspective of uh, God promising a better life. I don't always understand nor do I always welcome the life situation that I'm currently in. But I know that God is working all things for my supreme good. That is to say, I know that in all things, God is working my salvation. God is conforming me to look more like his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, it's not based on circumstance. Jesus did not suffer on the cross so that you wouldn't have to suffer or that you would find a silver lining in every tough situation in life that you go through. Jesus suffered on the cross so that when you suffer, when you hurt, when you're in pain, that you are still becoming more like him. Your life is not hinged on the circumstances that happen to you. Your life's purpose is found when you become more like Christ through what God has done in your life. So I was at Starbucks uh, last week. Go figure if you know me. Um, but I'm at Starbucks and I meet this guy named, we'll call him John. And John and I start talking and I find out that, that John's a financial planner. And um, I, have, uh, I have degrees in philosophy and theology, so numbers, finances, and that sort of stuff is as foreign to me as you can possibly imagine. But I do use money every day, so I have a lot of questions for, for John. And so I say, John, what's the best piece of advice you can give to a young guy like me about what to do with my finances? And he starts talking. He's talking about stocks. He's talking about bonds, uh, Roth IRAs, and and all this stuff. And I'm shaking my head. Oh, yeah, I I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) John keeps talking, and we're having this conversation. Eventually, he starts telling me about this organization that he volunteers at every single week. And, And the whole time, he's kind of hinting at um, sort of Christian-y ideas and themes and statements. And so I just said, hey, John, would you say that you're a Christian guy? And then he starts telling me his story. And he, he told me that when he was in his early 20s that his, his dad died and it had this really profound impact on his life. But this impact in such a way that it kind of left a void. He didn't really know where he was going. He didn't know what he was doing. He was directionless. He didn't have much hope. It left him in a really dark place. And so, uh, as time went on, John picked up archery, and then he was saying, you know, I would, I would cut, out, cut out of work early. I would go to the archery range just to shoot because I just needed to get away from it. And as he's uh, shooting, he meets this guy, and the guy is, you know, friendly, and, and the guy just seems generally or genuinely interested in who John is as a person. And John eventually finds out that the guy is the pastor of a church uh, right there in their little town. 
And like any good pastor would do, the pastor says, hey, John, why don't you come to church on Sunday? And even to the point where the pastor calls him on Saturday night, reminds him what time the service is, and says, hey, if you need a ride, I'll come pick you up. You know, he's just being a really good pastor. <laughs> and John, John goes to church the next day. And he kind of kept going. And then one Sunday, he wakes up and his wife says, hey, John, can I go to church with you today? Yeah, sure, that's fine. So they go to church and they serve communion that morning. And he says, the pastor's up giving the invitation to come and taste and experience God's grace through these elements. And John says, the pastor had no more given the invitation and I'm out of my chair. I am taking the elements and I went up to the front of the church and got on my knees and I gave my life to the Lord right then and there. But you know what was interesting? As John's story continued, you know what, you know what was really interesting? John didn't tell me how God made his life circumstances better. He didn't tell me that after he accepted Christ that his marriage got a lot better. He didn't tell me that after he accepted Christ, he finally figured out that his life vocation was to be in financial planning. He didn't tell me that after he gave his life to Christ, all of the bad experience of his life suddenly made sense and they were all, they were all good and everything lined up perfectly. John simply told me that Jesus Christ changed his life and gave him the assurance of salvation. Friends, the, the promise that's found in Romans 28, 28 is not for better life circumstances. The promise is that God is going to give you a better life. Let's, let's finish out the, the, the passage, Romans 8, 28 through 30. It's on the screen. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Kind of escalated at the end there, didn't it? You know, so in, uh, in layman's terms, what do you think that means? Like seriously, come up here and tell me what it means. It's pretty heavy. You know what, you know what that last verse means? It means certainty. It means that when God is conforming you to the image of his son, that it's done. It's happened. You notice all those words, justified, glorified, predestined, it's all in the past tense. It's been done. It's certain. In this passage of Scripture, Paul does not go on, he doesn't go on and explain all these big words. He doesn't explain all of these these heavy theological doctrines. And I don't think now is the time to do that. In fact, Sunday morning might not even be able, might not be the time to, to sit and try to work out all these words or for me to have a need to defend these words. In fact, these are the sort of words that, that KJ and I are talking about in the Acquired Taste class. So here's my shameless promotion to go to Acquired Taste if you want to know what these words are all about. But for our purposes this morning, verse 30 is all about certainty. That God is providing you a hope for a better life. It is fixed, it is certain, it is assured. Your life is not hinged on the circumstances that happen to you, but your life is held in the hands of him who saves you. Now, I can imagine that there are a few people here this morning who are thinking, like, this is good, this is interesting, maybe it's a little bit eye-opening. But you would say, like, this message seems really geared just for Christians. 
And I would say that, you know, I have, I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of past, you know, whatever it is. I'm just not ready to put myself in that place. And here in Encounter, we would say, thank you for your honesty. We, we respect where you're coming from. And we would never, ever want to undermine the process that it is to become a Christian person. Because a lot of that process means a lot of thinking. Becoming a Christian is not, is not the absence of thought in order to try to gain some sort of a, a feeling that's in the air. The process of becoming a Christian is to think through things and to weigh out the options till you come to a point and you would say that Christianity is true. It's not relevant. It's not trendy. It's not hip. At the end of the day, you've weighed the alternatives and you would say that Christianity is true. And I would encourage you to say that you can arrive at that point and not have it all figured out. You, want, you might not have every question answered. You might not have every biblical nuance answered. I've been a Christian my entire life and I still don't have all those questions answered. But to arrive at the point where you say that Christianity is true. And if you're bringing yourself into that point this morning to say Christianity is true, then this is what Jesus says. He says it in Revelation 3. He says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. It's an invitation. And this morning we have that invitation to, to eat with Christ as well because we're, we're going to celebrate communion. It's an invitation whether it's for the first time that you're going to say, Lord, take my life or whether it's the continual renewal process that you go through every day to say, Lord, guide my life, take my life, it's fully yours. It's an invitation in this place to come and taste God's grace. To know that he provides not better life circumstances for you, because your life's not hinged on the circumstances, but he provides a better life because you are being formed in the image of his son, and you have a part of the inheritance as an adopted child of God. So the invitation's there this morning to come forward, to, to take the bread, to hear that Christ's body has been broken for you, to, to dip it and to hear that Christ's blood has been shed for you, that you have grace, that he is transforming you to be more like his son. So as we, as we move into that, you know, a couple questions, you know, can I take communion, should I not? If you've given your life to the Lord for the first time, for the thousandth time today, come forward. It's God's invitation to give you his grace. If you're not sure that you're in that place, like I said, we respect that. That's fine. The worship team's gonna be up here. We'll be singing. Um, you can feel free to stand and, and sing and watch the words go across the screen as well. Uh, just logistically speaking, what we'll do is we'll stand up in a little bit. Um, if you file to the outside, um, line up there, come and take communion, move back into the center. Uh, one of the plates is gluten-free if that's, that's a, if that's a need of yours. Um, but the invitation is there. Come, taste, experience, see that the Lord is good. I invite you to stand up right where you are and, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's an interesting thing to hear that you're not providing better life circumstances for us, but that you're providing a better life. And Lord, maybe it's still a little vague, maybe it's still a little blurry. Uh, maybe we're not at that point to say it for sure. Um,
But if, it, but if that is the case, Lord, maybe it's a stepping stone to, to knowing who you are. Maybe one more stepping stone closer to saying that, that what you're offering is true and real. God, now as we come forward to, to take this bread and to take this cup, um, just show us how amazingly wide and deep your grace is. God, I ask these things in your name. Amen.